All right. Hello. What's going on? Rich Ryan here, Reinforced Running Podcast. What's up? Today, I'm going to give you an update on what I'm kind of thinking for High Rocks training, what's working, what's not really working. Did one of these a couple of months back. This is some extra thoughts. Now the season has kind of come to a close on my end. I've had a little bit of time to reflect. So I'm going to talk to you about some things that I found worked really well for myself and the athletes who I coach and some of the things that might need a little bit of adjusting going forward, uh, especially after now that we've seen some of the performances at the, the championship level and really what's possible here in the sport of hybrid fitness racing. So before we get into it, shout out to our sponsor, Resolute Coffee. So as athletes here in the hybrid racing fitness space, the experiences are really what we're after. What High Rocks does better than anyone else is put on an experience that you keep wanting to come back to over and over. So why not take that premium premium experience and put it toward your morning ritual of your coffee? Resolute Coffee really puts a huge emphasis on the quality and production of their product. Plus, the best part is that it's not done in a pretentious way. A lot of these coffee companies or these coffee shops I'm sure you've been into feels like you're an outsider when you're in there. But the owner, the, the founder of this company, he's one of us. He does these races, uh, high rocks, decafit stuff. So he knows how to put his nose down and grind, and it comes through in the product that he puts out there. Right now, I'm currently drinking the Colombian Aponte Honey. It's delicious. Berries, orange peel, vanilla, all that stuff. Extraordinary experience for my morning coffee. So you can get your Resolute Coffee 20% off. It's RR20. Link it down in the show notes. Take a look at that. And thanks to our sponsor, Resolute Coffee. Crush it daily. All right. So now that we are on, a couple of things that I've really been thinking about. I'm going to start with the things that I, that I was doing that I feel like it not necessarily didn't work, but could definitely be adjusted in a in a more efficient way and just a better way to, to get a higher end result, at least kind of what I'm thinking right now. So one thing that I really leaned heavily on this season was doing longer, grindier work, especially when it comes to the station pieces. Almost always I was doing station work that was going to either replicate or overdo the amount of reps that would would be necessary for the actual race itself. So if it was lunges, I would do 80 to 100 meters to 150 meters of lunges. And with the idea of right, like just trying to replicate the race demands. As I reflect upon that, that's kind of the equivalent of running a 5K hard to prepare for a hard 5k. There was a kid on my high school team who was, I don't know, probably our 20th guy. And he had this idea that why would I need to overdo any of, of the running pieces? Like, so he just ran three miles every single day, not faster, not longer, just three miles, never got better. And I think that's similar to this running itself is a little bit different in terms of like the actual volume, like volume is very helpful when it comes to endurance training with these type of station movements, I think that there is a speed and power element that really needs to be addressed. And if we're not doing that, I don't feel like we're going to be able to get the best effort available to us on race day. So using the lunges as an example, and just kind of parlaying it to what what I would particularly do in a running event. So say I'm preparing for a 10 mile race, I would break out the 10 mile race and do different 
interval pieces, not 10 miles at a time, one mile at a time, 800 meters at a time, two miles at a time with kind of rest built in between so that my effort can stay high while I can amass a certain level of volume. It could go over that 10 miles. It could be under just under that 10 miles if the, if the intensity is a little bit higher. So that's something that needs to be done on the station work. And a lot of times these station work pieces are going to be done in, in some sort of like Metcon. And I was a little bit apprehensive to put just straight up Metcon pieces into my training or the training of athletes who I'm coaching. But what those are going to do, it's going to, and when I'm saying Metcon, it's like metabolic conditioning, right? It's like the wad, the workout of the day. A lot of times these are shorter. They come from CrossFit. They'll be like five to 20 minutes. So we can take that framework and that idea. And what they're doing in CrossFit is they're getting very efficient within the movements and they're able to train their aerobic and their uh, aerobic threshold and their, their anaerobic pieces through this, these different movements. It could be something like squat cleans or double unders or burpees or something that's high in skill, like handstand pushups. They can do it at such a rate with such consistency that they're able to improve their conditioning because they can stay at some, at a sustainable rate, right? A lot of times where we're going to miss the the mark in CrossFit in particular is that the skill component or just like the muscular endurance component is going to be so high in demands that it's going to, we're going to have to rest or recover more than what is required to improve your aerobic capacity and your anaerobic threshold, all those things. The highest end CrossFitters are able to improve their, all, all of the internal energy systems because of how efficient they are in movement. And there's an opportunity within high rocks and this hybrid fitness racing space to improve the efficiency of the movement so that you are able to get a higher end uh, response for these energy systems by doing it consistently, right? So it could be something like being shorter on, in terms of the to, uh, of the reps that you're putting out there, right? So I was saying every time I would do lunges, it would be a hundred lunges. But if I would do 30 lunges at a faster rate and become efficient in that movement and not just having to be like slow and grindy and, and be cautious, making sure I could do all of these reps, I think that there's a big opportunity there and working in these shorter rep range shorter time domains with like the, how we would do for running. So say, yeah, preparing a, a, a running event, I don't know, 10 K to 10 mile, a workout could be mm, 10 by thousand meters with 40 seconds to a minute recovery. We do almost the exact same thing with these mixed modalities. It could be like 25 meter sled push, 20 burpees and 20 lunges, right? And kind of make, meet that three to five minute time frame of where you're consistently moving at a rate that is going to be taxing not only muscularly, but also aerobically. And there's a big opportunity there. And this might be something that a lot of athletes are doing who are coming from CrossFit, who, but who I personally think should be working on running a little bit more because it's still like a running event, but it doesn't always have to be the demands of the race. And that's something that I, I feel like I've done. A, I've had a mistake doing and a lot of times these workouts that I see, they're just long, grindy, grindy, grindy workouts. And we're not really em emphasizing much of the speed, right? The speed of these stations, the speed of the efficiency of the movements are things that might become secondary 
because of how scary this race is, <laughs> right? A lot of times we're not killing ourselves in these races because of the speed demands of these stations, but it's the ultimate, ultimately the volume that we need to accomplish to complete the race. So there's like this big scary element right in front of us that it's like, well, I need to, I need to be able to do 100 lunges. So I'm going to practice doing 100 lunges. And like, yes, there's certainly merit to that. And there should be a place for big voluminous muscular endurance workouts, but the, but shortening them into smaller intervals so that you become more efficient so that it's not overly taxing you to the point where you have to kind of take a break during the lunge sequence or the burpee sequence or, or the sled pull sequence, whatever it is that you're putting into place. If you're overdoing it, like rest and recovery are going to be necessary and in order to perform your best at this at this event, I think finding that steady state and being efficient through the movements and, and knowing that you could you could do them all <laughs> through the race at a, at a fast rate is ultimately where you're going to get the best results. So steering away from big, longer intervals. So another good example is wall balls. Every time you do wall balls, aiming for 100, like, yeah, sure. Mentally, that's going to very be, help you be very prepared for the demands of the race and, and might help you understand where you are, but you need to be able to do 20 unbroken before you can do hundred unbroken. So you need to practice doing 20 and 30 then 40 then then working your interval pieces efficiently and moving in and out of different, uh, different modalities to help keep that sustained effort that we need for this 60 to 90 minute race. So that's, so that's something you really need to, to, that I'm going to very much consider. And even an example of that could just be like 25 cows in the assault bike, 20 wall balls and just, and then 30 seconds rest, six rounds of that, whatever, right? That's going to be a pretty efficient workout. You're going to be able to continue to move throughout the entire piece. And really that's kind of what I'm getting at. If you're doing workouts and you're needing to stop and rest during the workouts without it being planned, you're probably doing too much, right? And if you're doing the going through lunges or going through burpees and like you're finding yourself pausing or stopping, like then we're probably not efficient in that movement yet. So backing off the reps and kind of working them in a shorter sequence with the rest built in will be helpful down the road. And that's something I'm certainly going to experiment with in this next upcoming season. So definitely try to, so don't just do the amount of reps for every set that you need to do for the race. Another piece that I found I that there might not be really room for is kind of abandoning some of these movements and needing to reacclimate yourself to them. And the way that the high rock season is kind of playing out in order to compete at the highest level, at the highest level of the elites at the highest level of the age group after the world championships, some of these age group times are crazy. They're so good. The athletes now are, are training and competing for high rocks all year round. Right. And something that I personally didn't do was that I was hoping it could kind of be broken up. It could kind of be uh, coming from this endurance background. So there's a cross country season and then there's a track season and yes, it's still running. Right. So like, this isn't an exact parallel, but uh, I guess it'd be more like uh, football in the fall, baseball in the spring, right? Like, and when you're doing, when you're 
in the football season, you're doing football movements and then you kind of have to, have to reacclimate to what the demands are for baseball. I would feel that because I played basketball in the winter. I would do cross country. I wouldn't do anything basketball during the fall. I'd play basketball in the winter and it took back then, I don't know, only a week, probably probably a week or two to really get that type of fitness in place that high level. I would come and be really, really sore in basketball season because I, I, I stayed away from it. But there would be enough time to adjust so I can be back into basketball shape. And and on the cross country track and field side of things, there's like a race sharpness that you need in track and field. That's very spicy, very fast. And you can get there within like the three month season or whatever it is. This might be a little, this might be a bit of an outlier uh, compared to what I am, you know, experienced with when it comes to that idea. <laughs> so moving away from movements like burpee broad jumps, like lunges, like wall balls, like heavy sled pushes in order to kind of take a different route for your season with, for me, it was DECA and for you, it might be OCR for you. It might be just trail running. It could be uh, CrossFit, whatever it is. It was a bit painful kind of coming back into some of the movements and the efficiency was completely lost. So making sure that some of the movements stay consistent throughout the year, in particular, the movements that are the biggest struggle for you, I think they should always be present in some form or another. It doesn't necessarily have to be just burpee broad jumps, but it's some sort of burpee or some sort of getting to the ground, getting up some sort of variation. It doesn't always have to be sandbag backloaded walking lunges. It could be any variety of that. It doesn't always have to be wall balls, but some sort of uh, squat and press. These are things that need to be accounted for all year because the season is even though it, it can be seem like it's long, it's kind of short in terms of your window to perform well, uh, especially at the elite level, but even at like, even at any level below, right? Uh, like in the, for an age group competitor, you're, there are these regional championships that you're going to want to be prepared for. There are time, there are races that you're going to want to perform well at in order to get some sort of qualifier to go through. But it, it takes a little bit of time and there's a, a, a big kind of like hump to clear with these movements. And it could go back to what I was speaking about before, just the efficiency that you have. It's hard to get effective high rocks workouts in if the efficiency of the movement is poor and there's a adjustment period that takes us several weeks to kind of get to. So kind of always keeping those things present, especially the things that are, are not what you might want to do. Uh, they are they are necessary to do. So this is kind of becoming, High Rocks in particular, a, uh, unfortunately, like a 12-month long season. And since the demands of the race, it's becoming more like a marathon, right? You don't see marathon athletes. Mar marathoners are marathoners. Sometimes they'll drip, come down to the 10K on a track, rarely. Rarely you'll see that only like the ultimate greats. A lot of times how that progression works, you come up, you're through the track, 1500, 5k, 10k, 5k, 10k, 10k, then 10k half marathon. Then you're on the roads and you're a marathoner. And then you really don't come back. And that's kind of what high rocks is. You're kind of a marathoner. You don't really have the ability to come back if you want to be as competitive as the highest athletes in the world. Cause like I said, these age group athletes are no, joke. So you kind of have to be a high rocks athlete, um, for better or worse, 
I believe in order to, or, or have needed to train in this capacity at a high level for several years to, to maintain that type of, uh, that level of accomplishment. So make sure you're keeping this stuff in. It doesn't always have to be hardcore, crazy, long, big nuts, high rocks workouts all year. I don't think, I hope not, maybe, but you do need to be familiar with all this stuff and people are just going to get better at all the movements. People are just going to get better at all of the, the, uh, at the race tactics. Um, so yeah, you got to kind of do it a lot. Uh, another thing that I kind of strayed away from was moving at a longer, like committing to a, like one big long effort, whether that's a long run or some sort of overkill, easy aerobic, long effort. Most of my long efforts were, were also very race specific and they would be long, right? They would be 90 minutes to two hours of work, but it wasn't like at an easy long run ish type of pace. And I did that because I started to spread out my intensity to more days than what I've done in the past, just because there are so many demands here. And I didn't want to sacrifice the days where I was doing a moderate amount of intensity because I needed to recover from a big bout of long, slow endurance training. But still, this is an hour race. This is an, uh, an hour and a half race. This is a two hour race. So you need to spend time moving at an aerobic level to help ensure that you have the appropriate pathways, that you're, you're able to convert fat into fuel. And just so that you're efficient in your movement pieces that's what some of these longer efforts do for you and what are what, what can be considered a cornerstone in many endurance training programs are these longer runs. It doesn't necessarily have to be just run, but there should be some kind of longer run, especially if cramping is something that you experience during these races. I found that it can be kind of confounding because of the amount of volume that people are putting in. But if you're not putting in a lot of volume on your feet, you're not taking on that pounding, you're not recovering from that kind of pounding, that the cramping is something that will be present in these races. So committing to some sort of long effort once per week, once per cycle, whatever that looks like for you should be something that is, is really prioritized and not worrying so much about the the next days. So taking your pro- appropriate recovery. So I guess those lessons are two and one. Like I was kind of spreading my intensity into four or five days a week and having really just kind of one or two kind of recovery days. So really straying away from that 80, 20, which I think is appropriate to a certain extent, but I think I overextended. I think I overreached on that end and needed to prioritize some of the recovery pieces more than I had. And, and lieu of just, more intensity in different places because when I felt like we could do, uh, we can do more intensity because the domains of the work is, is spread. So, so broadly that like, it can be on the rower. It could be on the skier. It could be on the assault bike. If it wanted, it could be these Metcon pieces. There's a lot of stuff you can do. And it's and on, in terms of like what that does to your muscular skeletal system, it's, it's, it's lower than what like running every day or, hitting a, a very long run, uh, a super long run would be. So it's important to, so for me, I'm going to really prioritize those longer efforts and just take the recovery. <laughs> it's that simple. Taking the recovery is something that needs to happen. And it's easy for in the sport to not do that 
because physically you could feel pretty good, pretty good doing a lot of stuff. So I think there's a point where pushing the intensity is helpful in terms of the frequency and I think can take you to another level of fitness. But again, you're just going to toe the line of what's too much. And that's something that in this sport is, is very important to kind of know where that line is. And you might not know where that is until you push, push that limit. So those are some of the main things that I think I could adjust and that I would like to see uh, that I will definitely adjust for the athletes that I'm coaching and some of these in some of the programs that I'm going to be putting out and like the group coaching that's out there is going to be um, really centered around some of these, these thinkings that I'm having now. Some of the things that are working though are speed within these high rocks workouts, I think is a great way to get both things. So one area that is challenging here. And again, it's something I spoke about in the first part about the efficiency piece is really improving that high end energy system that is going to help you improve your endurance, your aerobic threshold. And it's hard to do that to the level in which we can without being, without moving at a certain pace. And when we're doing constant high rock stuff, pushing that sled, there's like rest that needs to be taken, pulling that sled, a heart rate's just going to come down, sitting on the road. Like, like there's not, it's hard to get like a consistent effort that's going to elicit the response that we want in terms of uh, the gas exchanges or the type of fuel that you're running off of, which is basically what it, it, we're doing when we're improving our our threshold, our our, our overall endurance, right? We need to get to that place so that our body can adapt to it or become more efficient in doing those things. And then in the race, if we're not practicing those, like that level of exertion, we're going to fall apart, right? It's that simple. We're just not going to have the endurance because we haven't developed the energy systems that we, that, that we need to, in order to improve, and what's very effective in doing that is like single domain monostructural work, running, rowing, skiing at a certain pace because it's very controllable and it's pretty predictable. When you start moving in and out of different stuff, it's unpredictable. And again, there's different variables like efficiency in your movement and just the actual movements themselves. They're going to kind of take you in and out of this. And we're going to be moving in from like uh, having you be at your aerobic threshold to being very muscular endurance based. And then when you come back out of like, say, pushing the sled, like your heart rate might not even be higher than it was when you're running coming in. It may have come down. You may feel more tired because you are exerting so much energy into like muscular contractions that, and uh, it might inhibit like your breathing, but like the amount of blood flow might not change. It might even decrease. I've found, um, so because of that, like, it's hard to be predictable in terms of like how much you're going to improve your endurance. So splitting in specific workouts is like splitting in specific movements into your workouts. Like it would be like doing three by five minutes at threshold pace on whatever, on the row, on the run, on the ski, and then moving into station work and then doing some station work and then taking some rest or going back into some energy development work. like the three by five minute running, rowing, skiing three by five minutes, probably a little bit much. I'd probably do opposite like three by three minute or something, whatever, two by five, um, that the, those semantics don't matter, but the making sure that you're hitting 
the energy development work during all of the like the high rocks work and but just kind of like having it be put in different stages of the workout is a great way to blend both of the pieces so that you are getting the muscular endurance work that you need to uh do well on the stations the muscular endurance work under fatigue which is so hard to replicate that we feel at the back stages of these races and the aerobic development work the energy development work the high end endurance work that you need to ultimately be faster be able to sustain more um like you can certainly break those apart and have like Tuesday be your energy development day on the run. And then Friday be your run, your specific high rocks work as well. And I think that that is a viable option. Um, but if you need to work more on one or the other, you're going to want to do it more often. So putting it together in one place is a very effective way to improve your, your run pace while improving your muscular endurance. So that's a big thing that I found is very helpful. Another thing that I think is is going to just be a, a crux of a lot of the programs that I'm doing and that I'm putting out there are going to be row and ski and just machine progressions and having that be done in a succinct way that is going to show progress uh, week over week or or uh, mesocycle over mesocycle, whatever it is, like the time frame. being able to sit and do strenuous work on the skier and the rower and improve that it's invaluable. Like, like that's something that that's again, not fun work. It's like doing running intervals, but it's it, like, there are, and like you look at it, I had this question the other day, like, it's like, Oh, well, like the amount of work that we're actually putting in on the race itself, it's going to be like eight minutes. If you combine the ski or the row, whatever, just generally speaking. And it's like, yes, but what we're capable of doing as humans on the ski in the row is so beyond what we're doing in a high rocks that the area, the level to improve could be exponential, right? Like how much faster can we get on wall balls, right? Especially in the women's field, they're kind of, they're kind of like maxing it out. <laughs> like you, like you can only go so fast in the squat and the press and the balls in the air for a certain amount of time. And it always the same. So it's going to travel about at the same rate. How much faster could it be than three minutes? Probably not much. But what like high end rowers can do on for a thousand meters on a row versus what we're doing in a high rocks event or what the high end high rocks athletes can do for a one K or two K it's vastly different, much like the running. So I will, again, running progression is part of this as well. I, I think that just goes without saying, that's just something that I would always have in a program or my program is like improving running. Like, right. Like everybody, most people that I talk to is like, Oh, running is where I need to improve. So it's like, yeah, well then run more, but you also need to improve on the row and ski. Even if you don't think you do, you do, you can, and putting in these progressions in the row and ski, it's going to be huge. And not only just for those, those stations themselves, but also for your complete capacity, it's going to help improve your capacity to do work and it's not impact. So it's like the recovery is more is more systemic than muscular so you can take on a lot more if you're recovering appropriately and you could do just like so much work on these <laughs> you could do so much work and that that work will translate into becoming more fatigue resistant across the board it could it will help your running to a certain extent i mean you're not going to have the same skill that you would have uh, the skill work is going to be 
not present in a row or a ski, but the, the energy pathways that are going to be built will be the same. The internal mechanisms that are happening in, in terms of developing like mitochondrial density and the things that are really going to help your high end endurance, like that's there, <laughs> that's going to be there. So if you need to improve your running, you should take a lot of the running principles that you are going to put into place for your running and just do it on the row and the skate. Like there's really no need, no reason not to. And even if you're doing it on the same day as your runs or as your Hyrax work and just either doing it before or after or split in into double sessions, like find room or stretching your your um or stretching your weekly program into a nine week, uh, not, not a nine week, nine day program, a nine day cycle, a 10 day cycle, a 12 day cycle, whatever it is that you can get a little bit more work in there while still accounting for the recovery. Like you got to do it. Like you just have to. And that's something that is, and there's a lot of ways, a lot of different progressions to work on when it comes to rowing and skiing. Uh, again, it's a lot of the principles that I put in place for running or they're out there for running. It can apply to rowing and skiing. It's just going to help your efficiency. It's just going to help your form. The more time you spend on those things, the more time you can kind of think about what you're doing on those. And the more you can just improve on the movement and, and see what works, see what doesn't work. So spending lots of time on those machines, because that's a, a huge place we can improve. We can definitely improve on the sled. Maybe <laughs> like maybe, but on the row and the ski like that, there's no doubt there's lots of room to improve on there. So that about wraps it up. Some of the things I've been thinking about, but that's working for high rocks. What's not working for high rocks. So again, you'll see if you are part of the uh, group coaching program. You'll see some of these things kind of be put into place. Some of the programs that I'll be releasing later like on the 12 week side of things will also be reflective upon this. So I hope that's helpful for you. And um, I hope it's something that you will put into place now that we have some time to work on it leading into the next season. So also reminder, we had Corinna Coffin on the podcast. I say we, it's just me. It's no we here. It's me. I had Corinna Coffin on the, the podcast two or three weeks ago, talking about some nutrition stuff. She's so knowledgeable in it and very experienced as a coach. We put together a program for the hybrid racing, hybrid fitness racing. I've decided that's what I'm calling it. Hybrid fitness racing. Uh, hybrid racing doesn't really tell the story. Fitness racing sounds stupid and lame. Hybrid fitness racing kind of tells the whole story. Hybrid fitness racing, right? Not just one style of fitness. Lots of styles of fitness and this racing, hybrid fitness racing. That's what we're calling it. So, Corinna, absolute expert when it comes to nutrition in this space. She is, she's podiumed at Worlds in OCR. She has podiumed at Worlds in these hybrid fitness racing events. She is a an absolute monster when it comes to things like tactical games. She's a CrossFit games athlete on a team she is as high of an athlete high level of an athlete as we have in this space and she's an absolute professional when it comes to nutrition has her master's in nutrition and is a registered dietitian the whole deal and is also a coach so we put together a program it is now live there's three different levels for it there's a level one two and three that would be three levels but depending on how much customization you want that's the difference in the level pieces so you can take a look at the different options that we have at the link in the show notes. So basically what it's looking like level one is going to be $150 uh, for 12 months. These are all 12, not 12 months <laughs> for 12 weeks. These are all 12 week programs. And the uh, level one is 150 level two is going to be uh, 195 a month. And 
which is 585 total and level three is 825 total and 275 per month. And like I said, it just matters on the customization and how much access you want to your coach. And that's a difference in the actual levels. Level one, not a ton of customization, but a lot of information, a lot of ways that are going to help you understand how to better suit your nutrition to improve your performance. Level two, much more customization. It's going to give you specific personalized macros. It's going to, you're going to get biweekly feedback on how you're doing with hitting those macros and what you might be seeing. Level three, you get complete access to Corinna, who will be your coach. She's going to be able to help you understand all the pieces all the way through it. You're going to get all the pieces, all the things from level one and two, but you're just going to get a lot more time to chat with Corinna so you can completely understand what's happening with that along with the customizations. be a little bit more fluid, a little bit more flexible. So that is now live. We are going to be starting that program on June 12th. So you have another week or so to sign up for this, this thing. So I suggest you go ahead and do that. Take a look at the link down in the show notes and that will wrap us up today. Thanks again to our sponsors, Resolute Coffee. And that's that. Talk to you soon.